0: bibles and journey there together ephesians chapter 4 we've been studying together spiritual togetherness what many call unity i'm afraid though that unity became such a topic of conversation for churches, this may outdate some of you in the 80s and 90s, that it almost became a fad topic. And when we discuss spiritual unity together, it really is about being spiritually together. Why are we here? What are we doing? Where are we going? And is it for a purpose bigger than all of us? So is our togetherness maintenanced in part not just by us as individuals, but in larger part, is it maintenanced by the why we're here? The bigger why. We'll discuss that this morning. If you need a Bible to follow along with, anyone just slip up your hand. Our ushers are ready to help with that. And uh, I just want to welcome our missionaries to Taiwan the Bolins here. So Brian and Aaron, where are you? You're back over here. Would you stand real quickly? Uh, many of our folks know you. Many of them don't. But all of them have been praying for you this year. We know 2019 and uh, in God's providence, the things that were blessings and difficulties that befell you and came to you. We love you. And and hopefully we were able to encourage you somehow during that way, during that time. But we're so glad to have you today. And after communion tonight, uh, there'll be updating us on their ministry, so I hope you're able to come. I know you'll be delighted by them and what they have to share. Definitely like-minded, spirit-filled saints that we love to partner with. Spiritual togetherness. Just for those of you who are guests, let's just read this little short excerpt as Paul begins the practical part of the book of Ephesians that many of you are familiar with. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore, your, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. Again, a main subject and verb there we discussed weeks ago. And then he describes what that walk looks like in its character and disposition, the character of its disposition. Humility and gentleness and patience and showing tolerance for one another. In love, and we spent a whole sermon last week just on that prepositional phrase "in love," and we looked how Paul qualified what that love is and looks like. And we did the same thing with Peter, if you'll recall. So, showing tolerance for one another in love—that's the f- one of two main participles following the main subject and verb of this paragraph. And he goes on to the second and final uh, main participle of this particular immediate context, and he starts it in verse three by saying, "Being diligent." To preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And again, for those of you who are guests, this is um, a text that we've chosen to use following Matthew 6.33, as we kind of use that as a springboard text into a new year, of spiritually prioritizing what God would have us to do together And then our theme for the year is doing divine things together. Uh, Little did we know back when we were formulating this with God's help and prayer, this theme for the year that we were actually going to be looking at the prospectus of actually building together. So for those of you that think that there might be any kind of a bait and switch with the theme for the year of doing divine things together, when I did this, I had no clue that we had a potential buyer for our property. It was really about what can we do together to nurture spiritual Togetherness to nurture the bigger intention of why we're together, the bigger reason, which we'll discuss here this morning. Uh, but nonetheless, we want to begin by looking at this second really qualifying participle here, found in verse 3. This is something that we're to be doing regularly. This is something that each one of us is compelled by the grace of God to draw the circle around ourselves and to... Here and to meditate upon and apply, and then to do your part in maintenancing uh, this uh, reality among us, this family reality among us, unto uh, bigger purposes uh, indeed. So let's begin here, and word by word, phrase by phrase, just take verse 3 and consider it and I hope your hearts are individually helped being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace being diligent let's start there what does that mean well it simply means to take every care to do something well and to do it well from every angle possible it can also be added to that definition that this is something that we do quickly now, we all know Ben Franklin's wisdom, haste makes waste. I believe Solomon would agree with that wisdom. The book of Proverbs. But this is not the idea of haste makes waste. This is, this is, this is something that's an expedited process, but it's done with wisdom and efficiency. And every saint has the responsibility to do this something. So we're being diligent. We're being diligent. Some people agree that, that this uh, verb form would have been applied to um, athletics in that day. This would have been the idea of a sprinter coming to a starting point, and in our context, waiting for the, the gun to go off. And um, this would be the idea of stop, breathe, breathe think, and then act. (laughs) So when you're getting ready to do something incredibly important that you've been spending years preparing to do, you're going to do it. And you're going to do it with as much precision and accuracy and haste as possible. So really what Paul's asking us to do here is to stop, take a deep breath, think, think doctrinally about all that the gospel is and its ramifications in chapters 1 through 3, and then practically do what? Right. Stop, breathe, think, and then act. Do it together. This word in specific is used 11 times in the New Testament. I think it's another important component to remember in relationship to the grammar here. It's used 11 times in the New Testament. It's translated six times as diligent, two times as eager, and three times make every effort. In 10 of those 11 contexts that I studied this week, this is what I found, and I think it's worth mentioning. In 10 of those 11 contexts, they're concluding contexts. In other words, they follow after a significant portion of Scripture that was moving towards a goal, and then the writer would say, okay, in conclusion. And By the way, there's only two writers that use this word. It's either Peter or Paul. And both use it, okay, in conclusion, now, let's do this. In other words, you've been prepared well, you've been prayed up well, you're being governed by the Spirit well, now drawing the circle around ourselves, let's move individually well together let's be the spirit-filled Great Commission machine that God's designed us to be everyone here has been given some vital information as we've already discussed in chapters 1 through 3 and together we have a new family in Christ and it comes from varied backgrounds all placed in grace Church of Mentor by the Holy Spirit into a local family and backed by divine authority we're each given the opportunity to expend the spiritual energies that have been granted to us by the manifold grace of God to constantly move towards togetherness. You say, well, Pastor Tim, you weren't placed here. You were born in this church. What's up with that? You know, believe it or not, there are some people that still exist that believe I'm only the pastor of this church because I was born into this church. It's true. I would hope that my purpose for being here is much more than those mere pragmatic reasons. (laughs) I not only was born in this church, I've been in this church for almost 49 years My dad was the pastor of this church. I was an employee under him for 15 years. I've seen all the moving parts for all these years, and why would I still be here? Well, it's for a much bigger purpose than this was the church I grew up in, or this is the church my family enjoyed, or... I'm just here because my parents are here. I'm here because my parents and my siblings and their families are here. Or I'm here because I like Sunday school or, or I like this Bible study. I'm here for this, that, or the other. Well, no, it's, it's, it's actually much bigger than all that why we're here. And it's my intention to maintenance, it's my, my to, to, to pursue to be diligent to pursue this togetherness for the bigger why. And then certainly there are a myriad of attending blessings that come to us as a family of God as we all keep our focus on the bigger why we're here. if I was to say I'm here because my parents, I was birthed here, my parents worked here, my family went to church here, and if I was to say, well, this is the only church I've ever known, so I'll just stay here, then if, if that's my reasoning, then the equal and opposite should be true too, that it should have been my parents, it should have been my siblings, it should have been the fact that I was born here that could be the reasons why I would leave from here. So I wasn't placed here merely by human means, and I would never leave here merely by human means. Why? Because of chapters 1 through 3. Something bigger than all of us, and bigger than all of our parts put together, is happening here. Right? God is doing something by his Spirit unto faithfulness to his own gospel, and people being born again and discipled, churches being planted, and helping other churches plant churches, and taking on more foreign missionaries so that we can have a a like-minded, interdependent gospel network that's reaching the world. That's what I keep my eyes on primarily, is the Lord, his mission, his word, then you. If I was going to be here just because of you, I would not be here. If you were going to be here just because of me, you certainly would not be here. Right, let me like, right? Right? Yes. Yeah. None of us are here merely because we're here. I would be here if none of you were here. Because there's something higher that I'm here for. We just get to do it together. Amen. Okay. And this is what we hasten towards. Maintenancing this togetherness for something that's bigger than all of us put together. As we've already stated in the verses mentioned before in previous weeks, the pursuit of togetherness is, a conscient- is as conscientious as it is compassionate. Spiritual oneness is the foundation to a truly effective church family. Oneness in Christ Jesus is primary. Chapters 1 through 3. Agreement over the character and uh, conduct of our walk is also essential to embrace. Understanding the nature of the Christian maturity and pursuing just that will be the adhesive with which our spiritual togetherness is maintenance. (laughs) So before we begin to unpack any further detail of our individual role among this family unto this divine end, let's take a bird's-eye view to why we're doing this anyway. And this is not uncommon in Pauline literature. Go with me to chapter 6. Okay? We're going to crescendo to the end here. Let's never forget the ultimate why here that Paul is crescendoing towards in the book of Ephesians. If we lose sight of this, then we are just protecting by maintenancing unity for unity's sake. Are you with me? I typically only stop and ask you that question. Are you with me? If there's something about, really important about to be said from God's word, not from my mouth. So are you with me? We don't ever merely protect unity for unity's sake. Any corporation can do that. Any prayer church or organization can do that. But they all do it unto their own mission. We maintain its unity for something bigger than all of us. And Paul's crescendoing that here, even with, and showing that even when he asks the body at Ephesus to pray for him regarding one specific thing, We enjoy togetherness. Why? Verse 18, chapter 6. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the, let's say it together, gospel For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Why go through the gospel chapters 1 through 3? Why emphasize spiritual togetherness at at the beginning of chapter 4 that's further explained as being a very mature togetherness? based on giftedness and the development of those giftedness. And it moves on into what does that look like personally? Not just as we worship together, end of chapter 4, but as we exist together out in the world, end of chapter 4, and into chapter 5, the maintenancing of this body and its character all the way down to our domestic realities and our vocational realities and our worship realities all the way through chapter 6. You get my point? Why are we doing all this crescendoing forward? It's to verse 18. Verse 18. Paul's got an ultimate goal that's bigger than him and bigger than Ephesus and bigger than us. We just get to do it together, and it's the proclamation of the gospel. Amen. And I hope that's what we're doing here. I mean, that's what our mission statement says, right? We exist to glorify God by evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints with the goal of Christ likeness. And we ask you to pray for that all the time. We say that's our clothesline for ministry. Upon that mission, we clip everything we do here. Why? Because the Bible does. God does. It's bigger than all of us. And Just thank God that I get to be part. This is how I feel with you. I'm just humbled and I thank God all the time that I get to be a part of you. And that it's more we than me. And the us can crescendo to 618 together. So maintenance in unity is much bigger than just maintenance in unity for itself. He says here, be diligent to do this. Be prepared, be ready, do it quickly, do it all the time, but do it together. So as long, and as we move along, uh, we understand that this is all done by grace, and so therefore it's all maintenanced by the same grace that saves us. And so the more granular we get here and piecing apart this particular participial phrase, I hope our understanding of what this togetherness grows deeper and wider. It says here, be ready, and it says here to preserve. Okay, to preserve. Obviously, it's. One whole participial phrase, this word "to preserve" just simply means to, to cause to continue. be about its continuance. If it's based on a right gospel, a right philosophy and a right practice, then there's really no other thing that could occupy our headspace when it comes to being a church family than to just keep continuing what's going on. Just continue. I don't have much more headspace left after I'm done worshiping my Lord, loving my wife, loving my family, doing my job, being salt and light in the community, and then maintenancing unity here unto a bigger purpose than all of us. There's not much, would you agree for you, there's not much headspace left in life other than that. So with a little bit of headspace I've got left, what am I going to do? I'm certainly going to always leave headspace for my individual part of making sure that I am preserving that which God has put together. Now certainly if we go doctrinally awry, philosophically awry, then there's cause to question as to whether I should reserve that headspace for maintenancing Disunity among unity. (laughs) It's not what we're talking about. If we're theologically sound, philosophically sound, then I practically am going to preserve. And remember, it's a participle. This is something I just do all the time. I have headspace for that. So that's what I do. Let's recall as well, this is a conscientious, individual, and compassionate effort. It's a family effort. It's made up of individuals, local church effort. It requires the character of each individual governed by the Spirit to interdependently incorporate itself into the woven fabric of this divine thing, this body that we all enjoy all the time, all hands on deck, full time and attention. This is what we do. I was told in seminary to never make myself as a preacher the hero of my own illustrations. And I don't think I've ever done that. I think I did that once years ago when I started here and someone reminded me that I shouldn't do that. But in the former use of my own testimony here and my history here, I don't seek to do that. But I will tell you, if there were any reasons for me to not be at Grace Church in the last 49 years, I've seen a few. And I could probably guarantee, just looking across the auditorium this morning, I could probably guarantee I've seen a few more things that anyone in this auditorium has seen as a pastor's kid, as a pastor, and in this place for 49 years. And that's not arrogant. That's not a hero of my own story. I would just say, if there was any reason I could come up with to leave, believe me, I've had them, and I could have utilized them, but what? If it's doctrinally sound, if it's philosophically sound, then it's doing everything it can to move forward, governed by the Spirit of God, to be transformed in the image of Christ, and it's always got its eyes on something bigger than all of us. I'm just going through my preservation of how I do this verb. Are you with me? I'm not going to tell you to do something if your own pastor's not doing the same thing. I've wrestled through this. I've lifted a lot of weights on this. I've run, walked, crawled, army crawled spiritually through a lot of this. If you want to know some of the stories and some of the things I've seen, I'll share them with you. And I'm not saying that this is some kind of pragmatic rubber stamp as, oh wow, Noah should ever leave Grace Church. I'm just telling you. This is not about leaving or even coming. It's not about that at all in this context. It's about maintaining what God gave. And preserving it. Being as honest with the grammar and the context as I possibly can, which I'm always willing to learn. And if you've got more to add, share it, and I'll share it again next week. This effort of moving towards with intensity and preserving is all underpinned by grace. And all for a purpose, as I've said, much bigger than all of us. Remember what the verse says. We're going to endeavor. We're going to be diligent to preserve. And the next phrase is what? The unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. Now, in the grammar of the text, it just simply means this. It's the the unity produced by the Spirit. So whatever God's given to us here that is maintenance by us did not start with us. And that's what I had to realize as a kid growing up here. Whatever was happening here was happening here long before God even spoke Tim Potter into existence. So when I come on the scene, for whatever reasons I come on the scene, if the church is about the mission, the church is about the mission God brings me here. I need to be about the mission. And whatever the people are doing together about the mission, God provided the mission, and God in his spirit gave us the unity. It's sourced in the spirit of God. It never begins with me or ends with me. I just get to be a part of it. In other words, the Spirit of God has the proprietary rights, if you will. He's got the patent on spiritual unity and spiritual togetherness. So let me just ask you a question. And I know this is going to hopefully not make this whole point come from an irreverent angle, but just talk a little bit about how far does corporate law go to maintain the proprietary rights of inventors or founders of franchises my father-in-law owned he he, he started and owned Muncie one-hour cleaners It developed into five stores over 30 years right when he goes to sell Muncie one-hour cleaners he has to sign something called what a no compete clause why well there's certain laws that the owner the new owner operator gets to function for a certain amount of time As Muncie one-hour cleaners and has a chance to get himself on his feet. So if Ron Ray wants to start a new cleaners, he has to wait 60 months to do it. He can't do it underneath the same name, and it has to be in a different part of town or maybe in a town juxtaposed to Muncie, Indiana. Well, who gets to set those rules? What happens if Ron Ray decides to break those rules? You get the point. Now, what happens if Ron never sells, and what happens if Ron has someone open up another store across the street and call it Muncie One-Hour Cleaners? And he even goes through a name change and says, my name's Ron Ray. So there's two Ron Rays running two different Muncie One-Hour Cleaners, and neither of them are biologically related. Who owns the proprietary rights of Muncie One-Hour Cleaners? Ron Ray. That was his brainchild. That was his work ethic, right? And corporate law just decides to protect not just the intellectual property, but also the work ethic that was involved in building up that corporation. You say, why is that a big deal? Well, it started with Ron. It continued with Ron. It was, he had the choice to sell it. The unity that we experience starts with the Spirit of God, It continues by the Spirit of God, and he has the proprietary rights to tell us, according to Ephesians 4, how it's to be pursued and how it's to be maintenanced and preserved. I don't have the authority to tell us that, but the Spirit of God does. No pastor in his right theological or philosophical mind would say, this is my church, this is the way how we're going to run it, and you play by my rules. I started it, let's continue it, just trust me. That guy's a lunatic that does that. But if God started it, and the word of God tells us how to maintenance it, then God gets to decide how it continues and how she ends. True story as told to me by a Chick-fil-A owner. So I will tell you it's second-hand information. But I'm assuming because he's an owner-operator in the state where this happened that what he told me is true. So I like Chick-fil-A sauce. I know. Some of you find that hard to believe. Other of you say yes. I'll have it with every meal, please. So Chick-fil-A sauce. So... A North Carolina, as far as I understand it from this owner, who's a relative of my brother, a North Carolina Chick-fil-A owner invented it in his own store. And it became quite a hot item for nugget dipping and to put on their sandwiches. Corporate rules, though, say don't tamper with the menu BECAUSE THE MENU IS OUR LEGACY. SO IN ATLANTA, CORPORATE FINDS OUT, STEWART CAFFEY'S TOLD THAT A CHICK-FIL-A SAUCE IS QUITE A LOCAL HIT, SO HE DEMANDS, AND BY LAW, HE COULD BUY THE RECIPE FROM THE INDIVIDUAL OPERATOR, INVENTOR-OWNER, IN ORDER TO MAINTAIN THE UNITY OF THE CORPORATE MISSION BY ADOPTING THE SAUCE INTO its product line or into its menu. And when I heard that story, I said, I said, Eric, are you like serious? I mean, that's crazy. Who cares if a guy wants to develop a dipping sauce and sell out of his own store? He goes, nope, that's just the way we are. We're we're not allowed to do that. And we know that we sign on the dotted line that we don't develop the menu. We can suggest what it might be, but we can't develop it and sell it. All that granular detail, all that seemingly meaningless attention to detail, all to protect corporate unity and a menu. Seriously? Well, it's interesting. There's not much heartburn in each individual owner-operator of a Chick-fil-A, and apparently its constituents. As to why Stuart Caffey was so stiff on his rules for a little box of Chick-fil-A sauce. Because everyone enjoys it, and it kept the mission going forward. Right? And apparently, it's going well, because everyone always seems to be happy there, and, and it's always everyone's pleasure to serve me, somehow. <laughs> so I don't know if they're faking that, or... <laughs> whatever, but there are times I certainly need to hear that. Because everyone's trained at Chick-fil-A to their mission, and to do their mission with joy. And it will apparently always be their pleasure, even though they couldn't invent their own sauce without the CEO or president's permission. We're still going to stay a team, because it's worth it. There's something bigger than all of our collective parts going on here. Now, that's just merely a corporate story and a practical story that illustrates the spiritual point. The origin of spiritual togetherness did not begin with Grace Church of Mentor, nor Tim Potter, nor our former pastor of 43 years, nor the five pastors that preceded him since 1948. I and you, we're just the team that maintenances what the Spirit of God began. And we preserve it. We work together to ensure that it continues. No more headspace or anything other than that. And we long to retain it and to keep it. Because of where Paul crescendos in chapter 6 and verse 18. The unity on the gospel goals is sourced in the spirit of God, who by his nature... Knows eternal spiritual togetherness as we spoke of several weeks ago. And this unity sourced in the spirit of God is found to be in the bond of peace. See what it says there? It's very, very clear. Preserve the unity of the spirit. It's a powerful preposition for a prepositional phrase because it's sourced in a bond. It's sourced in the bond of peace. It's like, it's like this is the belt that holds the whole Great Commission garment together. It's the, it's the belt that holds the garment together of spiritual togetherness so that we can move towards something bigger than all of us. And we're going to need that togetherness. Paul needed that togetherness. Where is he writing the book of Ephesians from? He says it in verse 18 in bonds. He's in chains. He has to have them. We have to have each other unto this gospel end. So as we consider this final statement, togetherness is sourced in the Spirit of God, so it's a connector, if you will, a belt that holds the flock together, and it's a decorative belt at that. Its decoration is peace because the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Can I just say here, the fruit of the Spirit is? Let me stop there for a second. The fruit of the Spirit is many other things in Galatians 5. You know that. But isn't it interesting? Is the Holy Spirit God? Just hang with me here for a second. Is the Holy Spirit God? Is the Holy Spirit a person? Is the Holy Spirit eternal? When Jesus says, I am, can the Holy Spirit say the same thing? When God calls himself Yahweh, I am that I am, Moses, Exodus 3, tell them that I am has sent you. It's an expression of his eternality, right? The Holy Spirit is God. So, hang on with me here. I think it goes well with the grammar here. When when Paul tells us by way of the Holy Spirit and inspiration that this is a unity that's sourced in the Spirit and its decoration is peace, that's an eternal decoration. May I say an eternal intention by the Godhead for his church, of whom Christ is both the chief cornerstone and the head. The Holy Spirit is peace. This togetherness is identified and defined as a peaceful togetherness. Why? Because it's being maintenanced by everyone unto that end. Right? We want to show off from ourselves that which the Holy Spirit is doing within our hearts. And if he's governing our hearts, then certainly this will be the joy of our reality, again, all unto a bigger purpose. Than me, or any of us together, unto an end. So brought together in one gospel, into one body, with that oneness sourced in and held together by the Spirit of God, even in its dispositional reality and becomes easily maintained by spirit-governed saints. And it's more than doable, especially since the doing is being done together. You see, friends, we're not speaking here of conformity. We're speaking here of transformity, if you will. Transformation. This is something being worked out by the Spirit of God out of us. It's not conjured up by us. Togetherness in the body is found within a converted soul. The desire to maintenance that unity and that togetherness is governed by the Spirit of God who regenerated that soul, who made us alive in Christ Jesus. It begins with him and it ends with him all unto an eternal purpose. So, let's be diligent to preserve this unity sourced in the Spirit and in the bond of peace because it has eternal value. You know, as a pastor... Like I said for years, I've heard lots of reasons why people come and go from churches, and a lot of times, like I said, when it's doctrinally and philosophically, doesn't, not underpinned by Scripture, I get that. But there's a lot of churches that I would say doctrinally and even philosophically are okay. But people still have a reason to leave that church. I used to think all the time as a pastor well, if we're doctrinally sound and we're philosophically sound, then why would you even consider leaving? And that was a wrong question. And I've had to confess that to the Lord of sin, and I don't ask that question anymore. Spirit-filled, born-again saints are never truly and only about merely maintenancing unity. And they may take an hour or two to sink in. We mentioned it before. They're never really about that. If we are about just maintaining doctrinal and philosophical unity, and that's all we hover around, then I suppose that there would be dissatisfied, unhappy people here from time to time. Because you know what? I was too for years because I was always asking myself as I would read scripture, so why are we all together? What are we doing? Why am I here in Mentor, born into this pastor's family, in this church? Why, 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 why? And I started to ask all kinds of questions as to why, 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 why? And I found out it's not wrong to ask the question, why? And God really wants to answer that question if you're doing it with the right spirit. Spirit-filled saints leave churches that aren't on mission, even though they're doctrinally and philosophically sound. If the pastor's not taking that doctrine and that philosophy and giving it great commission feet, he's well short of the goal of the why, the church is there anyway. Are you with me? That may sound bizarre to you, maybe weird to you. It just is what it is. Solid doctrinal and philosophical churches are closing by the hundreds every month in our country. And they call and they ask, why we're solid doctrinally, we're solid philosophically, we're dotting all our I's, crossing all their T's, and all I can tell them is, I went through the same thing. We've gone through the same thing. And then, what's your why? Why are you doing this anyway? pastor when's the last time you befriended someone in town and actually gave the gospel to someone you didn't know because they were your friend you hide behind your pulpits and i did for years you hide behind your pulpit and you preach the gospel and you salve your conscience and you go home and you say i'm doing the will of god and you are in part but not in full It means nothing if it's us foreign no more. Bring them in, bring them in, bring them in from the fields of sin. No, no, no. Right? I've talked to you about that before. We don't invite him to church because the hymn says so. He told Pastor Mike, don't ever sing that hymn here again. <laughs> Matthew 28 19 did not say, bring them in. Am I right? go. Pastors, are you going? Well, I give the gospel when I preach. I give invitations. I give the gospel when I do funerals and when I do weddings. And I give the gospel in a hospital. Outside your job description, who do you know in town and who are you influencing? For Jesus' sake. It starts with the pastor. And then the Leadership. And then on the, that's maintenance something that's far beyond just mere unity, doctrinally and philosophically. And quite frankly, it keeps things a little bit restless from time to time, because a lot of it's just like the hunker down into solid doctrine and solid philosophy, and I'm all about that, but it's got to be unto an end. It's got to be unto an end. Just follow Paul all the way to the concluding chapters of the practical parts of his books. It's always about the gospel and getting it out and getting it out and getting it out and getting it out. out. But it's not going to go out unless you're doing it right here in our own Jerusalem. So I'll ask you. Are you maintenancing unity for something bigger than yourself or are you just here because you like the family. If you its unity just because you like the family, you're not going to be here long because this family is full of a bunch of people that are mere quacks outside the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God, right? What does Paul say? In me dwells how many good things? not one good thing you're gonna run into people who are just I don't want to be cliche sinners saved by grace I will rub you the wrong way we know pastor Steve definitely will right (laughs) I only say that because he's the one that never really does around here it's usually me that's why you laugh because you know it's not true right This is going to sound super silly, but you know what solid doctrine and doctrinal and philosophical churches that are like that aren't on mission? Did you ever go to an old fair that had bumper cars? I love bumper cars. Like, I could pay, or my parents could pay, right? Full admission into a local fair, and I could go to the bumper cars, right? Grab me a foot long corn dog and leave and be fine. I just wanted to go to the bumper cars and have a corn dog. Right, And then as I got older, I added the fair fries. That's another discussion. (laughs) But I can just remember these bumper cars, right? And this is what church was like for me for a long time. Right here. Right, Everyone was having a ball. Everyone was like, oh, man, this is great. Everyone's bumping each other, bouncing off, laughing hilariously, waking up with whiplash and neck pain the next morning, right? Do they even have bumper cars even anymore? I think insurance probably got rid of those. They still have them. I need to go. I need to go. Right? (laughs) But we're bumping, saying hi, bumping, going to look for someone else so we can bump with them. Hey, how's it going? Turning around, those cars would do this, right? And you'd overcorrect, you didn't know where you were going, then you'd get hit back from the side. Oh, that was hilarious! Blah blah blah. Church was like bumper cars to me. We were on the ride, the cars worked, we were having fun, we were enjoying each other, even running into each other. It was all cool. Then when we get off, and what we want? Let's do it again. Let's get in line again. Well, the line's really long. It doesn't matter. It was fun. But it was just always about bumper cars. Didn't care about anything else in the fair. Silly illustration. (laughs) Pastor Tim, you really do have a headache this morning. (laughs) Right? It's got to be about more than just what we enjoy in unity. Unity we have to weep with those who weep we have to rejoice with those who rejoice we have to entice one another to love and good deeds we must do all these biblical imperatives unto a bigger why else none of us should ultimately be satisfied here so what's the why what's your part in the why why are you even here why did God even let you be born why did God even save you regardless of how I came here why I stay here why am I here And I'm telling you what, folks, if I keep my head and my eyes on that Ephesians 6, 18, 19, it's real easy to deal with you and you to deal with me. Because all of our broken parts saved by grace are being molded gradually into the same image because we have the same Savior. Savior. That's the ultimate reality as to why we do this participle. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for giving us your patience as we try to grow. And Lord, there's growing pains, but it's growth nonetheless. I thank you, Lord, for giving us a flock here that does this text so well. I feel so... Uncapable of preaching this text because there's people out here that have been doing this text for much longer than I who could do it so much better. But I pray that there are those of us in here that enjoy this, that would increase more and more in this, and that we would get our eyes lifted up, lifted up, lifted up to something much bigger than all of us. Keep them there. And as a result of that, grow in Christ-likeness together. We love you, Lord. We thank you for so explicitly detailing for us what this spiritual togetherness is in its nature, how it functions, and what it even looks like. I confess to you, Lord, I don't often articulate truth like I would like to, like I wish I could, like so many preachers can do. But Lord, just with the information that's been given from Your Word, and I trust associating illustrations to go with it, that growth would have begun with this whole thing with me first, and then with all of us, if it indeed is from Your Word and according to Your Word. We love You. I thank You again for this this spiritual family that's been my joy for almost five decades. I thank you that they're tied to your mission. I thank you for the way they love each other because their minds are tied to the mission, tied tightly to the mission. And I pray, Lord, that those saints would be our examples until Jesus comes his name we pray. Amen.